Thank you for listening to Overcomers Church International Weekly Message. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened as you hear the Word of God. Today I'm going to start um, talking about, about sonship. And, you know, when she was singing and they, the team was singing, they were talking about, you know, the love of God. And at one point she was singing, singing Abba Father. For a long time I didn't know what that meant. But I realize, and just doing some study in the Word, that it's talking about a term of endearment. And it doesn't come from a place of just calling him Abba Father, but it comes from a place that you've experienced God's love so real in your life that it causes you to respond in a, in a way of endearment. Have you ever had somebody in your life that when you see them, it's like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. I just long to see you. See, when you get touched by God, when God touches you and it changes you, that's how you'll respond to his love. And he longs for us to enter into a place of, of sonship, being his children. And I'll use those terms interchangeably because the Bible often calls it uh, just being sons. And it's just like when it talks about being men. And it's talking about mankind, not male or female. And so when it's talking about sonship, it's talking about male or female. Either one is, is fine. But I really believe that this is a foundational piece that can be put in our life. And this is, this is a strong statement, but I believe it's accurate. That if you could get a hold of some of the things I'm going to share with you today, it will show you how to bring yourself into freedom. You know, there is... I believe in deliverance. The Bible has all kinds of verses about Jesus setting people free. But I've found something that, and when you talk about deliverance, people think of somebody laying on the floor and rolling around and foaming at the mouth. I'm not talking about that. I guess it could include that, but that's not really what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that when we came out of the world and we came into Christ, how many of y'all know that we carried a lot of stuff over with us, a lot of wrong thinking, a lot, a lot of wrong ideals, and even a wrong impression about who God was? And if you get a hold of what the Bible tells us about sonship and about what it means to be his son, you can begin to take yourself through deliverance to where you get delivered from wrong thinking, wrong ideals, hang-ups, sin patterns, whatever it is that you're dealing, you're dealing with. And it's good to have people that can come to your rescue when you need help. How many of y'all know that there's been times when you've gone to someone and just said, I need help. That's why he's given us the body of Christ, amen. And thank God for the other members and the gifts that are there. But I have found the greatest level of just being set free is knowing who I am, knowing who I belong to, how I belong to him, and stepping into that place of authority and stopping the devil at every turn of my life. Not because I'm anything special in and of myself, but because of him. And my value and my worth has been determined at the cross. That's what determined how valuable I am. And when you step, and the same for you, and when you step into that, it gives you this whole new leash on life. That there's not anything that's going to bring me down or keep me down because I'm a child of the king. I'm a prince. I'm a princess. And I can remember times in my life when I would do and think and say things and then I heard this guy one time, and he was talking about the love of God, and he was talking about people living in sin. And he said, he said, look, when you start to see yourself the way that God sees you, he said, you'll realize that a, a prince or a princess doesn't live in the gutter with everybody else and everything else and all of the garbage of the world. Just like the prodigal son, it was like when he came to himself and realized, oh, I've got a better place in my father's house. He got delivered in a sense, right? And he went back and he thought he was going to live at a low level. But in fact, he lived at the same level, the, the highest level. And just like the song said that we were singing, he put a robe on his finger, or a robe on his finger, a ring on his finger. Wouldn't that be something? Ring on his finger and a robe on his back. He threw his arms around him. He told him how much he loved him. And that's how God thinks about us. And when we realize our sonship in who we are and the position that we have in him, we won't even think about staying in the gutter with the pigs anymore. We'll rise up and we'll move into a, a greater level in our life. Amen. So when the Bible talks about us, the ones that are his sons, the ones that are his, his children, the workers in the kingdom, it gives us all kinds of uh, analogy. The Bible gives us all kinds of analogies. But we were sons, we were children 
first. When we first came in, we were children first. Before we were servants or soldiers or ministers or workers in his his kingdom, we were sons and we were daughters first. It's very important we, we remember that. And that's why Jesus told his disciples, he said, when you pray, pray in this manner. And he didn't say, and I've just got done ministering on going into the courts of heaven and viewing God as our righteous judge that's judged in our favor. And there's a time and place for that. But he didn't say, pray in this manner, our judge which art in heaven. How, what did he say? He said, our Father, which art in heaven. What does that say? That we have a right as sons and daughters to approach him as a father. There's not any greater love that can be given in this world that we can understand than what a parent has for their child. And if you had a rotten parent or rotten parents or a rough childhood, and probably at least half of everybody in here, or maybe probably even higher than that, would say that they were raised in a very rough environment, maybe an abusive environment, and you might have trouble relating to this, but I believe that God is going to bring you out of that mindset, however you couldn't relate to love before, and the love of God is going to so be bestowed upon your heart today that you're going to come into a new revelation, a new level of what love from the Father is really all about. Amen. And so understanding our place in his kingdom as being sons, as being daughters, is paramount to any, any other type of position that we could look at. It's extremely important. And so the question, and I want to hit this real quick before I get in further, but the question some could ask, how do you become a son? And I just want to give you a very quick answer from the Bible. In John 1 and 12, it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And there's different things, I'm going to get into this here in a moment, but there's different things that the Bible talks about in terms of of sonship. But it's very important that you understand that faith is always attached to relationship with the Lord. And because some of the way that the Bible phrases things, such as that he predestined us according to the adoption, that he predestined us to be adopted, it doesn't mean that our will is removed from what God had planned for our life. It's extremely important that you understand that. And for some of you, you might think, well, I don't have trouble believing that, but there's a, there's a huge push happening in, in the body of Christ right now to make people believe that your faith isn't important. Listen, your faith in terms of your, your relationship with the Lord is everything. Yes. It is everything. If you don't believe and you don't put your faith in him, then you have no relationship with him. But here's the deal. Here's what's interesting. When you look at what the word says, how it describes our sonship with him, it gives two basic analogies. One is that we are born of him, and the other is that we are adopted by him. Now, everybody understands being born of somebody and having their DNA run through your veins, and we also understand adoption. And what's interesting is that in the natural, because see, the Bible uses those two things, but in the natural, you're either adopted or you're born of. Now, everybody's been born of somebody, but it's possible that we got disowned, and then someone came in and said, oh, I love this person, and I want to give them a home, I want to give them a stable environment, and then we got adopted. And so our parents that raised us either adopted us or they bore us, one of the two. Everybody understand that? That's pretty simple. That's pretty basic. And so I think it's interesting that when you look in the scriptures, it talks about him adopting us, but then it also talks about us being born of him. And so when I started to dig a little bit deeper, I'm like, Lord, why did you you use these these two different analogies here? Why did you use these two ideas? And here's the thing about, about being born of someone is that you carry their DNA. But when you're adopted, it's because you're accepted even with any imperfections. So in the natural, you know, you could, be, you could be born and the person that gave birth to you could have nothing to do with you for whatever reason, but biologically you still belong to them. But see, when somebody adopts you, it's a choice that they want you regardless of the imperfections that you have in your life. And so when you're looking at the Lord and how he relates to us, we have the best of both worlds. It's right to say that we're born of God, but it's also right to say that we're adopted by him. 
So when we come into faith and believe in the finished work of the cross, we get born of God, but then he adopts us. And so then what we have is we literally, literally, there is a transfer that takes place in our spirits. And spiritually, we are his sons. We have his DNA running through our spiritual veins. My God. And when you look at, you look at the DNA of somebody, you're looking at their posterity, you're looking at bloodline, you're looking at all of the good or bad that comes into you. How many of y'all know when you're born of God, there's not anything but that good, but good that comes to you? Amen. Amen. So we've got the DNA of God running through our veins. Damn, that's powerful. But you know that we also have been adopted by him, which means we are unconditionally accepted and will never be rejected by him. And when I got a hold of this, and this is where I'm going to camp here for a little bit, when I got a hold of this in my own life about God never rejecting me, it changed everything about my life and my ability to just manage And I have found that the vast majority of people deal with rejection on a a very high level. And when I first got a hold of this, I was set free to a certain degree. And then it's been years of me getting over myself, to be honest with you, and what people thought about me and what I thought people thought about me and the things that I heard people say and the things that I thought I was hearing people say, even though they probably didn't say it. I mean, I'll know what I'm talking about. People get into all kinds of speculation That's just the devil, man. That'll destroy you. And when you get so rooted and grounded in what God has given you and the fact that you belong to him, it just really doesn't matter what anybody else says about you. And I can promise you this. I wouldn't be standing here today if I didn't understand this. I'm not going to go into the details, but I've had dealt with very severe rejection issues in my life, mostly a fear of rejection that wasn't really rooted in anything but just the devil. I had good parents, and they raised me and loved me and whatever, but I just dealt with this, this fear of rejection. But until I learned that I was totally, fully accepted by God that had nothing to do, had nothing to do with my performance at all, when I realized that it gave me a, a firm foundation, a, a rooting and a grounding in me, just the fact that he loved me and it had nothing to do with me, when I got a hold of that, that gave me something to stand on. And I can, I can guarantee you, you want to know why? And we've seen the, the past, uh, pastor suicide rate go up. And we've had a couple of even relatively, I guess, big name ministers that have committed suicide in our country this year. This is the root of a lot of it. Because they have this ministry. Let me tell you something. You minister to people, you better be ready for rejection. I get rejected on a weekly basis. Some of y'all thinking, did I reject you? Probably. You just didn't know it. Amen. Give me some smiles and some amens, and it'll help once in a while. But a lot of it, the deal is, is that when you step out in ministry, the, the, you have a target painted on you, and the enemy will work overtime to try to get you to shut your mouth. And just when you step out and you think, well, if I say things right and I do things right, people are going to love me, they're going to like me, they're going to accept me. For every positive person I have in my life, I have about three or four negative ones that don't like what I'm doing. And so if you're not rooted, for me, if I'm not rooted and grounded in just who I am in Christ, it would absolutely destroy me. See, it's embedded in, in the human condition to feel shame, to feel rejected, and to live from that place. I mentioned this last week, but if you go all the way back to the garden, when they sinned, they immediately, even though God never rejected them, they immediately felt rejected by God because they realized their humanity and it caused them to think less of themselves even though God actually never thought less of them. You know that he didn't, he didn't kick them out of the garden. It was, it was mercy. He did, but it was mercy that he did it. A lot of times people think, and I read this for years, like, you know, he's got the, the flaming swords of fire and you can't go back into the garden, but it says, lest you eat of the tree of life and live forever. It was the mercy of God that kept Adam and Eve from living forever in a fallen state. I don't know about you all, but I want to die someday when I'm old, but I want to leave this earth. Amen. I don't want to have to deal with the issues of life throughout all eternity, but there's hope on the other side of this life that we're going to be free from all of this stuff. Amen. 
But they immediately viewed themselves as being rejected by God, even though God never rejected them. You don't find that there. As a matter of fact, what happened is that they tried to cover themselves, and the Lord said, look, the covering that you're doing, it's not good enough. Let me give you a better one. And of course, it was a type and shadow and a picture of Jesus, but he, he, he killed animals and he covered them with skin, and it was the first picture of the atoning work of Jesus. But here's what's so amazing is that from the time of the garden all the way until the time of Jesus, sin was only covered. But when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to be baptized, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. On this side of the cross, our sins have been totally blotted out and removed, and they're no longer an issue between us and God anymore. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. A lot of times people think that sin is the problem. Sin is the issue. Sin is an issue, but it's not the issue between you and God. It's not the issue between you being able to fellowship with God. The issue we have between us and God is the consciousness that we have, the awareness of the depravity of human flesh. When we see ourselves, when we feel ourselves, when we think about ourselves, most of the time, most of us in here don't think positively about ourselves. So we view us through our lens instead of viewing us through God's lens. And for proof of this, if anybody ever shows you a family picture and it's got you in it and it's got 10 other people in it, who's the first person that you're looking for? The 10 other people or yourself. And when you go to look for yourself, are you looking to see how handsome or beautiful you are? No. You're trying to make sure that you don't have a double chin going on. <laughs> that you had the, the best angle that your shirt was just right and it was like this. And, what, you know, we had all these selfies going on today of people trying to get it right. Some people don't know how to do it well. But that's, that's how we think about ourselves. But when we come into an understanding of how much God loves us and we have this sonship, this relationship with him, man, it changes everything in our life. We carry not only his spiritual DNA as sons and daughters, but we've also been adopted by him. And so I was thinking about this, this idea about adoption. And it almost doesn't make sense how we think about it because... When we think about adoption, we think about a child being adopted by a parent, a young child. And that's mostly how we, how we see adoption. But the deal is, is that when it came to the adoption that we have in him, it was, it was him choosing us, but then we had to choose him. Does that, that make sense? So for the people that say, well, he just sovereignly chooses who's going to be chosen. Well, he's chosen to choose us, but we have to choose to receive his choosing. Yeah. Amen. Not to be too choosy about the subject, but we have to cooperate with him is the point. So I, I started doing a little digging about, about adoption, and I started to learn a little bit about adult adoption. And some of you might know some things about this, but every state has laws for adult adoption. And most of the time when we think about adoption, we just think, oh, well, we just, you know, you would adopt a kid, and by the time they turn 18, then you can kind of cut them loose into the world, although you would still have a relationship with them. But the idea of adult adoption is anyone that's 18 and over would be adopted. And there are three main reasons why there would be adult adoption. And I'm going to read these to you here. And I pulled this off of a website of a law firm that deals with adoption. And so they tried to give some understanding behind this adult, the idea of adult adoption, which is a better picture of spiritual adoption than having a child who has no say-so versus adult adoption, both parties are in agreement that it's needed. And there are basically three main reasons. Let me read this, what this law firm uh, wrote. And then I also, I did some other research and I found so many things that, that, spoke, that spoke the same language, but I love how it puts this. It says, adopting a grown-up, and there are top three reasons for adult adoption. And then it's going to give you some info. It says, while the vast majority of adoptions involve adults adopting children, all states have laws that permit adult adoption in which a person 18 or older is adopted by another adult as mutually agreed by both parties. And I just shared all that. But listen to this. So it says, so then the question is, why would an adult want to be adopted? And there are three main reasons. And I found when I, when I read this, I thought that sounds a lot like scripture. And I went in the word and I realized it is the same. Keep in mind, it's the same reasons why God adopted us. Number one is inheritance. 
There are typically three reasons why adults choose to adopt another adult. The most common reason is inheritance. Whether it takes place when the adopted party is a child or an adult, the adoption creates a legally recognized parent-child relationship, enabling the adopted child to inherit property from the adoptive parents. Praise God for that. I'm not going to even get into that in a moment. We'll get into that probably next week or something. Secondly, adult adoptions can be used to formalize a parent-child relationship. For example, there may have previously existed a step-parent, step-child, or foster-parent, foster-child relationship, and the adult parties now wish to formally recognize the relationship. And this is what I put it on a, a number two. It's not a formalization, but it's to give them a sense of belonging and acceptance. Jesus. Finally, adult adoption can help ensure perpetual... Oh, listen to this. Jesus. Finally, adult adoption can help ensure perpetual care for a person of diminished capacity. Formerly adopting the adult with special needs may enable him or her to qualify for lifetime care and can help ensure assets pass to the adoptive child, regardless of their condition. Anybody in here feel like they're an adult with special spiritual and physical emotional needs, and you just need somebody to adopt you and take care of you? Come on now. <laughs> and it says that they'll, they'll receive a lifetime of care. So the third reason, this is how I labeled it, is it's perpetual care in spite of condition. But listen to this last thing it says here. It says, as with any traditional adoption of a minor child, an adult adoption triggers several significant legal changes. When the adoption is finalized, the parental relationship with the biological parents is severed. You ever hear that you were born a child of the devil? It's kind of true because we were born into sin. And we were born into sin because of what the devil did to the world through Adam and Eve. But it says that that has been completely severed. And a new parent-child relationship is created. A new birth certificate will be issued bearing the adoptive parent's names. And the adoptive child may change his or her last name to that of the adopted, adoptive parents. Praise you, Jesus. Isn't that awesome? I just felt like that just put it into just plain English for us to understand that. He chose to adopt us to give us an inheritance for us to be accepted and have a place of belonging and also to give us care for the rest, not just till we die, but throughout all eternity. Because the truth is every one of us is a mess without him. Most of us are a mess with him. (laughs) You take Jesus out of the picture and it becomes a huge mess. Oh man, he's so awesome. He's so amazing. I look at it like this. It's like the the cross revealed our worth in his desire to have relationship with us. When we got born again, it was us saying yes to the cross. And then when we said yes to the cross, then he said yes to us and adopted us. And now that we've been adopted, the goal is, is that we say yes to him again to where we live like adopted children. I don't know about you, but I want my life to go to higher and greater and bigger and better levels. The apostle Paul said, he said, I pray at the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you would know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints in the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. That's my prayer and has always been my prayer for people, for the church, is that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would know the riches that we have in him. I want to talk about one of these three things here for a moment. I want to talk about acceptance, and this is something that's so near and dear to my heart because, like I said, I dealt with so many years of feeling rejected. It was, it was all a lie from the enemy. But, you know, when people feel rejected, they project how they feel. And if you feel rejected by people, even if it's not true, 
then you'll project yourself that way and people will go, I don't know what to do with that person. And it becomes a self-fulfilled prophecy. And when people feel rejected by God, they project themselves that way. And then whenever the Lord would come in and speak anything, try to speak anything positive in your life, you hold that wall of rejection up and you can't receive what he has. But it's time we turn the tables on the devil and begin to see who we are, what we really have in Christ, how God really thinks about us. Amen. And so this verse in Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 1 and verse 4, turn there with me. And I'm going to read a few different verses here, some from the New King James and then some from the Passion Translation. This is the New King James, Ephesians chapter 1. And I can honestly say that this might be the first revelation I ever received sitting and reading the Word. And I can remember reading this one day, and all, all of the sudden, I was illuminated. Understanding came to me, and I realized and we're going to read this here, I realized that God accepted me and it had nothing to do with me at all. It was totally because of him. How many of y'all know that especially in the adult adoption, there's not, there's not anything under the conditions that the one being adopted has to offer the one who's doing the adopting other than just their love being reciprocated back. When we came into relationship with the Lord, we had nothing to offer him. He didn't need our money. We're, even the wealthiest person in the world is broke compared to who, how wealthy God is. He didn't need our money. He didn't need our acceptance. We needed his acceptance. He didn't need perpetual care. We needed perpetual care. But man, he did it just because he loves us. And listen here in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. It says, just as he chose us, just as he chose us, in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Notice it says according to the good pleasure of his will. It pleased God to have Jesus pay the price so that we, we could become children of God. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Thank you, Jesus. Let's look at this verse in Galatians chapter 4. And this is the Passion Translation. We'll pull this up here since it's worded so different. But I love the way this is worded. Galatians chapter 4. And in verse 3, can we pull that up here? Galatians 4 and 3. Listen to this. It says, so it is with us when we were juveniles. We were enslaved under the hostile spirits of the world. But when that era came to an end and the time of fulfillment had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the written law. Yet all of this was so that he would redeem and set free all those held hostage to the written law so that we would receive our freedom in, in full legal adoption as his children. And so that we would know for sure that we are his true children God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, my father, you're our true father. And there is something that happens when you go from having an intellectual knowledge that God loves you. If, if I were to, to have a show of hands, which I don't want to, but if I were to have a show of hands, who in here believes that God loves you? Probably every one of you would raise your hands. But if we could peer into your heart and see if you really believe that God loved you or not, there would be a, probably at least half of you, if not a full majority, that would say, I just don't know if I really, really, really believe and know and understand and hear that God loves me. But there's something, that's why the Holy Spirit is so powerful. There's something that happens when the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us that he cries out, Abba, Father. He's the one that speaks to us how loving God is and how much we are loved. Let me give you another verse here in Romans chapter 5. Look at this, Romans chapter 5. Again, this and all the rest are going to be in the Passion Translation. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. It says, and this, is, and this hope is not a disappointing fantasy, praise God, because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. 
For when the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who are entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save themselves. Now, who of us would dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. Man, isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. I want to go to one more verse. Romans chapter 8 and verses 15 and 16. It says, And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of the tender affection Beloved Father. I want to go back in this verse. Go back to that verse again. And it says, And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. Do you know that this is probably the thing that plagues people more than anything else? And you know why I know this? Because it's plagued me more than anything else. Everything in this world lives and dies on performance. Most relationships live and die on performance. As soon as you stop performing right, the people stop loving you. As soon as you don't do something right, they'll come out against you. If you don't work your job, you're not going to get a paycheck. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's good to work and it's good to receive a paycheck, but it's still performance. Everything that we do is performance-based, but our relationship with the Lord isn't. Other than the fact that Jesus performed perfectly so that we wouldn't have to. But yet there's this, this constant nagging in our souls and our minds that we always feel like we have to perform or live at some level, come to some level of understanding. Look, you could never learn one more thing and God would still love you. You know, that says, and we just read it, that he died for the ungodly. I know this is basic. Some of you are saying, why are you saying this? Because I'm telling you that we don't have it. We don't, we don't really understand it like we need to. I am firmly convinced that this is the foundation that causes everything else to work in life. And if we're doing anything for the Lord and we don't have this foundation in our life, it's all being done in vain. The Apostle Paul says that according to the grace of God as a wise master builder, I laid the foundation and let he who builds on it be careful how he builds on it. For in time, his work will be tested and will be proved whether he built with wood, hay and stubble or gold, silver and precious stones. So much of what we do is based off of our need to perform and we think we need to be accepted because of our performance and we are accepted because of our performance. When God says your acceptance was finished at the cross, I totally accept you based on what Jesus has done. Now build from that platform. Now build from that foundation. And when you have that foundation, Christ the rock, his love for you, his un unending, and I want to say undying, his love is undying, but yet he died to give you the love that he had for you. When you get that becomes so real, and it's not that you get a hold of it, but it gets a hold of you. You know what I'm talking about? To where instead of just talking about God's love, you begin to experience God's love. It says in Ephesians chapter 3, that we would know the love of God that passes knowledge. Let me ask you a question. If it passes knowledge, how can you know it? It's saying, and if you dig deeper, it's saying that you would experience, that you would know experientially the love of God that passes even your mere understanding. I've had so many encounters with the Lord that have left me going, why? My question to you, God, is why do you love me? Why do you care about me? Why do you want a relationship with me? You know what I did. You know what I, how, I, how I look, how I think, how I think about myself, how I've been critical of myself, how I've been critical of others. You knew the sin patterns in my life. You knew my issues. You knew my thoughts. You know how I thought about taking my own life before. You know how I thought about all of these other things going on. And my question is, God, why would you love me in the midst of it? 
And you know what? It's still a mystery to me this day. But I've just learned to shut my mouth, open my heart, and say, Jesus, I will receive every ounce of love and sonship that you have for me. I'll receive every ounce that you have for me, and I'm not going to live from this place of performance and feeling rejected, but I'm going to live in a place of acceptance by you. Because I know you care about me, and I know you love me. And man, when they all turn their backs on you, God will never turn his back on you. And the truth is, is quit listening to the lies of the devil. So many people think that all the people have turned their back on you. And the truth is, is they haven't turned their back on you. The devil's always had his back to you. And he's, he's speaking lies into your ears. And then you believe that all the people are against you. And the truth is, is the people aren't against you. And the very ones that could come and speak, I'm telling you, this is hitting home with some people right now. The very ones that could come and speak and reveal and share and give you what you need, what you need. you've got your, your rejection wall up so high that you, you can't receive anything that they have to say because you believe that they've rejected you. When the deal is that when a son or a daughter who has is, who is matured in who they are, and they're not tossed to and fro with every wind and wave of doctrine. They're not tossed around by the lies of the enemy. They can stand firm, they can stand calm, and they can simply declare and say who God says that they are and even speak into other people's lives and tell those people who God says that they are. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, there's some of you need to hear that in here. Because you, you, you look at yourself and you say, who, who am I? Who could God, how could God ever use me? Listen, nobody in this room has said that more than me. I, pro- I promise you. Nobody in this room has said that more than me. But I just realized that was a part of my flesh that just needed to die. If it had anything to do with the sound of my voice, the way I look, how I preach, how long I preach, good God, you, you want... <laughs> Thank you. Let's go back to this verse here. <laughs> okay, I'm going to leave that alone. It says, and you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. No, I'm just going to say it real quick. I can't get it out of my mind. People say, hmm, can't just be who you are. Just be who you are. Oh, praise God. Thank you. I received that. As soon as you are who you are, they reject you. Oh, you really meant you wanted me to be the version of Kent that you wanted me to be. I can tell you why our our church has not grown in numbers, just exploded. And people will tell me as if I don't know. Although it is growing, but it's steady, good, good, strong, steady growth. Because I care that the people grow more than the numbers. I said I care that the people grow more than the numbers. And everybody's always want me to fit in this, not everybody, I'm not, I don't mean everybody, but everybody in the somebodies want me to fit into some kind of mold. And I got news for you. I'm never going to squeeze into your mold. Well, just, just be who you are. Two months later, what happened? Well, I, the service just went a little bit too long. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. So I'm the one who's immature. I'm the one who's not right. You told me to be myself. All right, I'm going to get off this. This is not going anywhere good at all. <laughs> but the truth is, I come back and I go, you know what? And I know, I know that you have to be careful and you got to do things right and you got to do things in order and there's time issues and people. I get all of that stuff. But when you invest 20, 30, 40 hours into ministering something, and then you go 10 minutes longer than what people are used to. You better be doggone sure that your identity isn't wrapped up in what you do, but it's wrapped up in him. Because I've learned over the years that I can just come back and go, well, you know what, they got their opinion, I got mine. God will love them, God bless them, care for those people. And then you just move on and do what God's doing. And then you just take some practical wisdom and advice. Because, I mean, I could stay here and preach and teach and love God. I mean, we could go back into worship and we could worship for two more hours. You know, it's interesting, the whole time thing. I can't even believe I'm saying all this. I shouldn't say it probably, but I'm just saying it. The, time, the whole time thing, Liz and I were talking about this, like, with, with service stuff. And people, I, to me, people are just funny. I could stay in church and love God. I could sit and listen. I could worship. I could do whatever. As long as God's involved, I don't really care. I just don't care. 
And she was saying, you know, when I was younger, she said, I thought about time stuff. I said, not me. I said, I can remember a time in my life I was so hungry for God, and all I had to go to was a denominational church, and that's just all I had to go to at the time. And, and I love denominations, but they didn't have any moving of the Holy Ghost or anything. But anyways, I was there Sunday morning, and I would stay, and I would stay as long as I could. And then I'd come back Sunday night, and I would stay, and I would stay as long as I could. And then I'd come Wednesday night, and I would stay, and I would stay as long as I could. I was so hungry for God. You know, when I hear people go, well, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of getting kind of late or whatever, I think, are, do, are you more hungry for chicken, or are you more hungry for God? Because I'm going to tell you something by the anointing of God right now. There's going to come a time when God is going to want to pour out. He's going to want to do things, and we can't be so wrapped up in this little perfect bubble, in this package of what we think things should look like, because a revival hub and the people that are revived and the people that have been empowered by the Holy Spirit that allow the power of God to come and move and do the things that He wants to do, it's going to take time. Sometimes Sometimes the preacher will have to preach a little bit longer. Sometimes the worship team will have to worship a little bit longer. And sometimes people just need to sit in the presence of God. We spend hours and hours and hours and hours soaking in social media and TV and conversations and phone conversations. And then we come and we come to church for 60 minutes, an hour, two hours, and we think that that's going to fix the issues. I'm telling you, we have to be in the presence of God for a period of time, be under anointed teaching, be under the anointing during worship, and allow God, give him time to allow the Spirit of God to do a work to simmer in you. Give Him that time that He needs to do the things in you that need to be done. We say we want revival, but then when even any form of fashion of it comes, we say, oh, I don't want that because it's infringing on my life. I got news for you. If you want revival, it's going to infringe on every single area of your life. It's going to infringe on your marriage in a good way. It's going to infringe on your friendships. It's going to infringe on your TV watchy time. It's going to infringe on your Facebook time. By God, it's going to infringe on your sleep. I've had times because I live, I, I'll say this by faith, I live revived. I have issues like anybody else. But basically, I live revived. And you know that God wakes me up early sometimes when I went to bed late? What business does he have doing that? Look, he's God. My life is surrendered to him. Every second, every moment of every day is surrendered to him. And if I need to burst out and break out from the, the bubble and the mold that I'm in, then I'm willing to do it. Thank you, Jesus. Give God a clap, not me. Make sure that's for him. I was going to say these things later on, but it's just coming to me, and I didn't even finish with what I was going to say. If we want the supernatural, we have to have the new wineskin. If we want the power of God, we have to have a new wineskin. And listen, it's not just about how a service goes or doesn't go. That's not it, but it's about the revelation that the, the Lord is pouring out at that moment. If he's saying things that go against what you believe you have a responsibility to go to the word and say, Lord, if these things are true, show them to me. If you want revival in your life, I mean, I'm just going to, I am going to do a show of hands here. Who in here wants to see, before you raise your hand, I'm, this is a serious question. Who in here wants to see Holy Ghost, powerful revival beyond anything we've ever seen before in our life personally? Who in here wants to see that? Nearly every hand has gone up in here, and the other ones probably agreed, but just don't like raising their hands, and that's fine, no problem. But nearly every hand was up in here. So that means that if you are going to get what God has that you don't have right now, that means that you are going to have to open up yourself, take the wineskin that you have now, throw it out. As a matter of fact, I released this word before because someone released it, released it to me, and they saw a picture of wineskins just piled up. Old wineskins piled up. God pouring out the new wine into the new wineskins because we were able to hold what it was that he was pouring out. See, let me tell you, let me tell you something here, something unique. Because I have, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Help me to say it right. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> now, I don't want to say it that way. I'm learning to be careful of my words. I had a dream. 
And I didn't know that Liz represented the Holy Ghost in my dreams till recently. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my gosh, my dreams have gone to another level. <laughs> but I was out. You're going to think this is funny. I was out preaching, and she muted me when I was preaching because I was getting ready to say something that I shouldn't say. I've been snared by my words a lot. Not too much, but enough that I've learned to be careful. But let me say it this way. What God is doing here is unique and different. See, I've been, I've been around the block. I've been following the Lord for a long time. I've seen a lot of things. I draw from a lot of different camps and understandings because I just want what God has. I just want what he wants. I don't care about what I want. I want what God wants. And you know that there is a mixture. Listen to me. There is a mixture that's happening. And I'm saying this prophetically, there is a mixture of the things of God that are happening and will happen in this church that have not happened as far as I know ever before in my lifetime that I have ever seen. And I look at that because I've been hearing the Lord speak this to me for a while now, that he's marrying things concerning prayer and intercession and deep, awesome, powerful throne room worship. And I'm telling you, we've only, it's so powerful what God does here, but we've only seen the tip of the iceberg. But listen, it's not just that. He's also elevating the revelation of who he really is by us being word-minded people that we go into the word of God and we dig out the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ because there is no other foundation that we can stand on and truly stand and go where we need to go if we don't have the right foundation, which is Jesus. It's him crucified. It's the righteousness we have. It's all of those things that we have, but we have to have the word. Folks, that takes time to do that. You cannot take a whole group of people from where you're at to where you need to go. Put yourself in my shoes, which is hard for you to do because you don't know all the conversations I have with the Lord. But I see this, I see this church that, come, that we come in our worship, and we even come to a place where we'll have times where we don't even, I don't even need to teach. I don't even need to share anything, and I'm fine with that. There's no place I would rather be than just right here, just worshiping God and however that looks. Honest to God, that's how I feel. I'm looking for a time when that's going to happen, but we cannot worship the Lord past beyond the revelation that we currently have of him. If we want to go higher with the Lord, our understanding of who he is has to go deeper, has to go higher, and then we can go higher, we can go to that place. Because true worship of the Lord, it's not an emotional experience. Sometimes people think the worship is amazing, in places, not here, but in other places, and all it was was a bunch of hype, and they had their emotions touched. But when you find people that are rooted and grounded, that know God, that know his love, that know who they are in Christ, they know the times and seasons that they're living in, they know the power of the Holy Spirit, they can go up to higher and higher and higher and higher levels in him. I don't just want an emotional experience. I want emotional experiences to be involved. God gave us emotions. He wants that. But I want our experience to be based off the revelation of who he really is. This is why until the Lord releases me to do something different, we will worship and we will give him everything that we possibly can. And then we will hear the word. We will get into the word. We will understand the word and we will come to higher levels of revelation in him. Can I get a big amen? Let me go back and finish my message. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear never, of never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned. Praise God. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of, of tender affection, beloved father. And look at here at verse 16. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. Thank you, Jesus. Stand to your feet right now. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And Father, I thank you right now. I just come against the spirit of offense that would rise on anyone's heart right now. I thank you that they see me as somebody. I don't care that they really see me, but if they see me, they see me as somebody who loves them but refuses to stay stuck. And Father, I just come against the spirit of offense right now. Man, I felt that heavy. I'm telling you, drop that thing off of you right now in Jesus' name. 
If you want to move forward and upward, you need to do it with God, but you have to do it with a heart full of love for people. God loves people. He cares for people. And Father, we thank you that we have this tremendous revelation in you, this tremendous understanding of you. And we hear you saying that you, to us, that you're saying that you, son, you, daughter, are my most beloved. You're my, you're my most wonderful. I think that you, I thank you that you care about us deeply, intimately, that we are your sons and we're your daughters. And Father, in the midst of me just pouring my heart out here today, I thank you that deeper revelation of sonship, of what you've given us, what you want us to have, what you want us to walk in. I thank you that we're going to new levels in you, God. New levels in you, Jesus. And for every person that's felt rejected and that feels rejected and that walks in rejection and they don't feel accepted, they walk out of here without feeling that anymore because they have an understanding that, God, you love them, that you care about them. Let me tell you, heart, whatever heart I'm speaking to, and I know there's many of them, whatever heart that's listening to me, that you say, I've felt this rejection. I've felt like people don't care about me. And I've even felt like God doesn't care about me. Father, I thank you that that lie is broken today in Jesus' name. And even if the former was true that people don't care, which isn't the truth, but even if it was true, God, you accept us. You care about us. And Father, and, and ultimately in the scope of reality, in the scope of eternity, it doesn't even matter if other people care about us. It only matters that you care about us that you love us, that you want us, that you want relationship with us. And I thank you that this goes deep and this goes intimate in our hearts. And Father, when this, I thank you that this is a church of revelation, that when we go and we get in our quiet place with you, that your Holy Ghost reveals to us, not just things from your word, but God reveals your love to us, that it becomes tangible, it becomes real, it becomes the motivating factor in our life. It becomes the very reason why we witness. It becomes the reason why we prophesy. It's the reason why we worship. It's the reason why we love people so well. It's the reason why we go to church. It's the reason why we give. It's the reason behind everything that we do that we have an underlying understanding that we are loved by him. We are loved by the creator. We are unconditionally accepted by him. And I thank you that every spirit of rejection is broken off in the name of Jesus, never to return. But a new platform has been laid here today in the hearts. And God, it's not because of my fancy preaching, but it's because of the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit working through the hearts of every person in here. And we walk in a greater level. We posture ourselves as ones that are sons and daughters of the King, the Most High, the Greatest One. We don't, we don't walk around with our head held down. We walk around with our head held high. Even if our condition needs some help, even if we have some issues going on in our life, God, we hold ourselves up high. We look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith, knowing that because we're loved by you, you can help us go from where we're at to where we need to be. Thank you, Jesus. And I just want you to say this right now. Everybody say this. Jesus, I know that I am fully accepted by you. And I reject rejection. I will not... I repeat, I will not walk in rejection, but I will walk in your full acceptance of me through the cross. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly message. To find out more about Overcomers Church International and to hear more messages like this one, please visit our website at ociperryville.com.